and welcome to Reliving My Youth. My name is Noel Fogelman. My guest this week is Patrick Labrador. Now Patrick, probably best known for portraying Andy Garvey on Little House on the Prairie, he talks about the audition process he had to go through for that. It's amazing. It's a fascinating story. He's done so much other stuff. Heathers, I mean, he was Ram, so he talks about that movie and just the legacy of that movie and ski school summer school he did all the schools three ninjas so he kind of did like a trilogy of dumbasses we talk about that he created the show see dad run on nick at night starring scott Bayo with his wife that was a very entertaining show talk about his voiceover work and what he's doing now we talk a little bit of marvel patrick really nice guy and i hope you enjoy my conversation with him So, Patrick, thank you so much for joining me today. I really appreciate it. Hey, you're welcome, man. Thank you for having me. Yeah. So what's the funniest um, like interpretation of your last name you've heard? Oh, oh that's a great question. Um, the, the funniest that's the most consistent is Labutexis. Okay. <laughs> um, the other, the one I heard that I just, I, I, I asked them to repeat it was lab your sham hmm all right i like that one <laughs> yeah like how do you get sham out of a tea i don't know but right right yeah oh that's funny yeah because i'm i have to you know i used to correct people in my like first name you know noel you know it's it's no okay. and at this point it's like i've been called worse i've been called much worse four-letter word so just i'm whatever. confused do you pronounce it noel or noel noel no okay yeah so i'm like whatever call me whatever yeah i don't at this point i don't care <laughs> yeah we my my wife and i named our son joe which sounds pretty normal except we spelled it like the last part of our name so his first name is j-e-a-u okay and he basically you know he hates us of course yeah he's <laughs> exactly exactly i don't blame him either you know yeah. here you go you give here's a regular name but you you know he's got to right. spell both i have to spell my last name every day now he has to spell his first, first and last name. yeah I, I hope you gave him an easy middle name though <laughs> yeah sure yeah it was it, it's easy bennett okay oh, with the regular you know a q and the ch in there but oh, of course yeah. it's just bennett. <laughs> exactly yeah and try to explain people when i correct him about my first name that i'm jewish so it's like uh-huh. noel and you're jewish i'm like yeah, my mom was cruel, you know. <laughs> yeah. So um, I want to start what you're doing now with the uh, Working Actors School. Oh, yeah. The working Actors School is it came about partially because of COVID, partially because of the fact that I've been acting since I was young. You know, we'll, right. like, we'll get into it. I mean, if, if you're listening to this, I, you know, you probably kind of maybe know that. But I, I started acting as a child and I was fortunate enough to then have and get jobs as a teenager and then transition into an adult which is pretty rare in this town and just because your product changes you know when you're a child you're it's a different product than when you're an adult obviously yeah and so what was wonderful as the child you know you may not be the right you may not be the same they're not going to hire you for the same reasons right Um, and I've been to a ton of different acting classes. I've been to, you know, I went to the groundlings. I went to Nina Foch. I went to all of these, you know, great acting schools and they all focused on being in the studio, you know, obviously inside the actor's studio, they all talk about it being a safe place and you can explore and, you know, it's all of these wonderful and it's, and it's true as an actor, 
You need to feel safe. You need to feel comfortable with the people you're with in order for you to try things that you could just fall on your face and just completely make a mess of, but it'd be okay because it's in the acting studio. No one's right. going to judge you on it. However, being a working actor is way different. Being a working actor is you're on set, the sun's going down, the DP has taken, you know, all of his time to light everything. You've got 20 minutes to do this killer scene that you auditioned with. That's your number one scene. That's going to, you know, get you your Academy award, but you only got 20 minutes to do it. You have a co-star that hasn't learned their lines yet. And the director wants you to do some weird blocking and you have to do it. And it's nowhere near the studio experience. I mean, the, the acting studio experience, it's, it's a job. You know, it's like a construction site where they're building a movie and your blueprints yeah. are the script. And so the working actor school came about with those two ideas in mind saying, OK, look, I know what it's like to be a child actor, a teen actor and an adult actor. I've been on enough sets to know all the ins and outs of how to make it a practical approach to acting with respect to the to the to the acting studio, which is necessary. But this is a different process and so yeah it's the working actors studio and the idea is, is that we do it online and you know like the tagline is you know you don't have to be in hollywood to train in hollywood you can do it anywhere you want mm -hmm. it's with myself and we have classes from you know basic intermediate advanced we have improv classes we have all these different things that i've worked out so that we can do it online and the idea is we can take a piece that you're working on or you know if you're brand new to acting uh, i'll just begin at the beginning and walk mm. you through the whole process. So that's working, mm. <clears throat> excuse me, workingactorschool.com. You can go there, check it out. If you have any questions, it's workingactorschool at gmail.com. It's just a straight up email. I'm approachable and we're starting our, uh, another class for basic uh, February 8th. Right. And how much like being a creator of a show, like you created, see that, see that run, help you yeah. in that regard as well. Teaching your students, knowing what's, you know, what they look for, like casting directors and stuff like that. Since you've been on that side as well. Are you an actor by any no. chance? No, yeah, because you're asking the perfect questions. And I got to, okay. I got to compliment you because the, the number one acting lesson I ever learned was being a producer on see dad run. Um, just for those who don't know, See Dad Run, it was a Nick at Night show that my wife and I created, Teen right. Alban, AC Laberto. We wrote it and we created it. And it's about an actor who goes home uh, after 10 years on TV and tries to raise kids. And he was America's number one dad, but now he's a real dad and he's, he's struggling. And so it's a sitcom. It was a comedy. Hilarity ensues. Being a producer on that and having actors come in that I knew that I had called in saying, hey, I think this guy would be right for it. Having them walk in and as soon as they started speaking in your producer head going, no, right. they're not right. Right. Was the best acting lesson I ever learned because you realized, or I realized, oh my gosh, there's, it's not like, you know, it's not like I'm holding mm -hmm. my fingers really, really close together. It's not like you were yeah. this close. Right. You just weren't right. And it took so much pressure off. And, you know, I, I hope to take off a lot of pressure from different actors who go mm -hmm. in and they're wondering, oh, if I had only said the line this way, I would yeah. have gotten it. Probably not. Right. Yeah. Like, I mean, I'm a fan of Scott Bayo's work, you know, on, uh, on that show, yeah. and just as an actor. I mean, other stuff, whatever. I don't have to deal with that. Well, the guy is super talented. No yeah, doubt. He knows he how to do comedy. Right. Yeah. So how many like actors did you see before you landed on Scott for that show? Oh, it was always Scott. Oh, okay. 
it, it, it was always Scott. My wife right. and I wrote the script and a funny story with my mm-hmm. son, Joe, um, we wrote the script and we're looking, we're thinking about, you know, who's going to be our, you know, it was called daddy's home originally, but you know, who's going to be the dad in this. Right. And we were on a big um, arrested development uh, binge. And it was the first time my son had seen Arrested Development. Right. We were going through all the episodes and Scott played Bob. Bob blah, blah, blah. Blah. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> and it was our son who goes, oh, he'd make a good daddy. Right. And my wife and I looked at each other and we said, oh, my God, of course, he'd yeah. make a good daddy. And I happened to, I, well, I knew Scott, but I also knew his producing partner, Jason Hervey. And so right. I contacted Jason, gave him the script. He gave it to Scott. Scott liked it. We presented it to Nickelodeon with Scott and it was a go. It was a dream. It was a dream process because it went so quickly, but right. yeah, it, it was always Scott. Okay. I mean, cause like, like you, he's grown up on, on television, you know, different stages yeah. as well. And, you know, very talented. I love Charles in charge and happy day, whatever, you know, he, yeah. he was on. And it was really cool. We, uh, we had the opportunity. We shot it at Paramount where I'd shot little house. Right. Excuse me. And, and Jag. But they had also shot Happy Days there, and we got to shoot on the Happy Days stage. So Scott went to oh, cool. went back home, and he shot right. on the same stage he shot Happy Days on. And he was in um, Gary Marshall's office where, okay. we had our, where we had our offices. And it, right. was, it was really, it was a great, great time. Oh, that's great. Now, you mentioned auditioning, and you mentioned being on, you know, Little House, um, you know, set. Uh, what was your audition like for Andy? It was a dream. I, it was... It was unique. It was super unique in that if you're not an actor, you have to know that you'll go out on 10 auditions and you'll get called back on six and you'll never hear from them again and you'll maybe get one. Right. And that whole process can take anywhere from a week to three months. And so you just, you know, you do all your preparation, yeah. you go in, you do your audition, and then you just never hear from them. And, and that's that. Little House was different. Little House um, was pretty amazing in that I got a call in the morning on Thursday that they wanted me to read after school at Paramount. I went into Paramount. They said, okay, we'd like you to read for Michael, but he's on location in Simi Valley. And they drove us out to Simi Valley. I read for Michael at like five o'clock, six o'clock in Simi Valley. After the reading, he held my shoulder and said, hold on, you stay here. Yeah. The other kids went away. He goes, you got right. the part. Oh, wow. I started working the next morning at 730 with Melissa Gilbert. Oh, wow. <laughs> and so the whole process took less than 24 hours, which has never happened before, never right. happened since to me. So it was yeah. it was a dream. And then it was another week before anyone let me know that I was going to be coming back. I thought it was just an episode. Right. And so it was it was just it was a fantastic fantastic experience right so you didn't even really have time to get nervous right because you were just oh it's a whirlwind you know you get cast oh, you got to go right to the absolutely set. i mean yeah. s- certainly nervous to walk up you know because they had us audition in the middle of walnut grove at that big tree that's okay. outside of the old right. mercantile so we it, that part was nerve-wracking because you're walking down and there's michael landon dressed like paul ingles because they were shooting right and you're meeting this huge star and, you know, remember, there's no social, there's no internet, there's no anything. So it's like, he's a big star. There's, right. you don't see these people in any other yeah. format. And uh, so I auditioned there, but it was, that part was nervous and nerve wracking, but he made it easy because he was super nice and he was super, um, 
he just had this way about him that made you just relax. It was kind of nice. Right. And your br- brother was, he guest started like the, what the year, two years before he played yeah. Charles, young Charles. Yeah, exactly. He, yeah. Uh, my brother had played him a year before in two episodes. However, I'd never been on the set. So it was the okay. first time I was meeting Michael. Oh, okay. But still, I mean, I had heard good things, but right. still, you know, he's still Michael Landon. Yeah. So was, was Matthew a little like pissed that he guest starred, but didn't get a, you know, a starring role or a recurring role. And then you come in and I, a recurring I, role. <laughs> I don't know about that. I probably not. You'd have to ask right. Matt right. Know, exactly. However, I remember he came out to pick us up because we didn't have a ride back from the set um, and he and Michael hung out. And then Michael pretty much the very next year wrote him in as Albert. Right. So it was a pretty much, there were so many brothers and sisters on the show. Yeah. (laughs) Um, You know, they say, Oh, that, that set was like a family except on little house. It really was. was, Right. I mean, all the kids in the school were the, you know, sons and daughters of the crew, you know, all the extras, the right, wives right. and stuff were the wives of the crew. And then you had myself and my brother, the two sets of twins, um, Melissa and her brother, Jonathan, Jonathan right. Um, just a huge amount of family right. all, all around. Right. And Michael's kids were on the show. Yeah, Michael's well. kids were yeah. there when they were during the summer, they were always there. And then right. she later, and then I think later Leslie became, you know, the teacher of the school. Yeah. And- yeah. I would always joke on my wife because she has like, she has all the DVDs also have them on DVR. So she'll put it on here and there. Plus it's on like five channels every day. Yeah. You can't get away from it. Yeah, exactly. And I always joke with her. It's like, it was that the episode that Carrie fell down the well and she gets so annoyed with me. It's like, cause I, I always make fun of Carrie and I, I, I don't know why I do it just cause like she never has any lines, you know, she has maybe one or two lines of the whole entire like show. Right. And then her starring role for a big episode, she's in a well, you know, the focus around her episode is she's in a well. And it's like, you feel bad for her because that was really the only time they actually, you know, had a Carrie centric episode. <laughs> there's one episode that I don't know if they have in rotation or not. They, Michael was very um, technology forward. Okay. Um, have you, you may have heard of the Steadicam, you know, oh, the yeah, camera. Of course. That, yeah. Okay. So, so before anyone knew that, right. the guy that created it, wow, shoot, what is his name? Gordon something or other. I, I for, forgive me. I don't remember his name, but Gordon was his name. Michael used the Steadicam. I think they used it on Rocky in 1976 yeah, for the did, first yeah. time. And then the very first series to use it was Michael with Little House. And so he was totally into these things. And they came up with this, this technique. I want to say it was called IntroVision, but that, that's, that's like a video game console. <laughs> but I remember being something like that where it was the very beginning of like blue screen and green screen like we have now. Right. And so they did an episode where where um, Carrie kind of fell asleep and went into like this wonderland. That's right. <laughs> whole episode. Yeah. Right. And so I haven't seen that a lot. And so I always thought that they just, because it was trippy, you know, yeah. it was a crazy <laughs> little episode. Right. But it was Michael's way of exploring this new technology. And so um, that was another episode of Carrie because they got yeah. to use the two twins together. Right. Oh, that's right. It's, yeah, I forgot about that one. Yeah. How much did you get out of Michael? Like just being around him, knowing that maybe this is what you wanted to do growing up and maybe even like writing or producing. Yeah, you've done this before, haven't you? Um, <laughs> One or two. <laughs> literally, that's where, that's why See Dad Run happens. That's why, mm-hmm. you know, the other stuff happens that I've written, writing on JAG, um, writing, you know, the movies, the, the Hollywood mm-hmm. Palms and, and um, uh, Last Resort. You being on the set with Michael, and again, 
I just got to take you back. There's no computers. There's no phones. There's no right. anything. Michael was a big movie star and he would be driven in to work every day out in Simi Valley. It was about an hour, hour and 20 minute drive. And he would be driven in every day in a, in a station wagon. Now a dude like him could demand a limo. He could, right. you know, whatever he wants. In fact, he didn't even have a dressing room. He okay. shared a honey wagon room with Merlin Olson, which they literally couldn't fit in this room. Right. It was so Especially small. Merlin, right? <laughs> Especially Merlin. Yeah. Uh, but he just, they literally, but he was all about, let's just do the show and go home. Yeah. But he would drive in in this station wagon and he'd have a yellow pad. And on the way into work and on the way home, he would write the scripts. He wrote two out of three of the episodes. He directed right. two out of three of the episodes. And so seeing Michael just sort of being in the moment and writing stuff and then being in a scene with him while he's directing, he made it look so easy and so yeah. just fun that it made me definitely, you know, go, I'm, yeah. I want to do this. And I started writing scripts while I was on Little House, you know, stupid, like Hardy Boys ripoff called the Ruby <laughs> Detectives. Okay. It's just like <laughs> yeah. solving crime right. know, each week. Um but if you look at it, there's uh, it, uh, Linwood Boomer was also on our show and he right. ended up creating Malcolm in the Middle. Yeah. Um, uh, Dean Butler is also a writer and director myself. Um, and I know that Melissa's done a lot. It's just it, it was so baked into part of the process that it felt like a natural extension of what right. you would want to do. And again, he made it look so easy. And when you see someone look at, make it look easy, yeah. you go, oh, I think I'll try I can do it. Right. I can do it. Yeah. 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 Being like in the Valley and being like a superstar like him, did he have like free reign from the networks? The networks leave him alone since they were kind of like, you guys are off, not on the lot. From what I've heard, because again, we were kids. So as far as those types of politics back in the day, we would, mm -hmm. I, I had a subscription to, Variety and the Hollywood Reporter, which again is like Deadline and, and you right. know, the internet stuff, yeah. but it was the only newspaper and it was a newspaper. So you'd get your information a day or two later. And so that was my only information about quote unquote, the business. And back then, no one talked business to the kids. Right. However, there was a, there was a sense that I had of Michael that because he had been on Bonanza for so long, and because Little House was such a big hit, we never saw anybody from NBC. Okay. The only time we interacted with people from NBC was when we went to do like affiliate dinners and parties and things where we'd show up as the actors of the TV yeah. show. And they were all very kind and everything was right. great. But I never, you know, I'm, I'm assuming now as an adult that Michael just exactly what you're asking. You know, Michael had free reign because no. he was delivering right. on all cylinders. Yeah. And I mean, the show was successful too. So, I mean, this track yeah. record. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, our, one of our worst episodes, um, you know, we got, <laughs> we got the ratings and one of the things that we would do in school is we, you know, what were the ratings? What were the ratings? Right. Our little school set. <laughs> and they go, well, we were number eight this week. We weren't, you know, we didn't do well. We only had 25 million people watching. Yeah. Right. It's like, Oh my gosh. Yeah. That would be the, the number one of all shows right now. An insane amount of people. Yeah, exactly. Cause then it was only the three networks. So exactly. Yeah. 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 Did any, I used to love the battle of network stars TV show. Yeah. It, it was great. And like, I think ESPN classic still runs it every now and then did any of the cast participate in that? Yeah. I know that Melissa did for sure. 
Um, and maybe Dean later on. Okay. But that's, I think, I think that was it. Maybe, maybe Karen Grassley. Okay. So you, I remember you, Melissa for sure. Right. You weren't seeing like Catherine McGregor and like tug of war or anything like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, I don't think so. Right. Yeah. Now with Merlin, uh, I think he just retired right before he came on or was he still playing? No, he, he had just retired. Right. So, I mean, I'm sure you guys knew or watched him play. I mean, what, what was that like having him as your father? Here's the weird thing about Merlin. I've, I'm 56 now and I got into football about two years ago. Oh, wow. Okay. Seriously. I did yeah. not followed football. When we got on the show, I was introduced to Merlin and then I was told that he, he, he had played football. So I knew that he was a football player. Right. Um, I knew that he was, he had played on the Rams and that he was part of yeah. a, a part of the team called the fearsome foursome. Right. Those were all I knew about him. I had no idea of his yeah. greatness. I had no idea of his abilities. I had no idea of like his legendary status. And you know, what I knew from this man was it was a very difficult time for me at that period of my life. My father was ill and, you know, he would later pass away and he was, he was sick. And I kind of glommed onto Merlin as like a father figure because okay. it was so easy. Right. He was my father on the show. And, yeah. You know, my dad was losing weight and wasting away and here's this big, huge man. And I just, I couldn't get enough, you know, male attention. And mm -hmm. he was the sweetest guy I'd ever, you know, come in contact with. Right. He, he took me under his wing. He was, he kind of got the whole situation that was going on. Yeah even though I never, it was never anything I'm explaining it to you now. Like I understood it. I had no idea of what was happening. Right. I just knew that, you know, Merlin, you know, Merlin's such a great guy. Yeah. And, you know, now that I know who he is and, you know, know what he was, what he did, I, I'm just, I'm flabbergasted. I'm kind of glad that I didn't only because then I might've been, it might've been a different relationship. Right. Yeah. But here's a guy who, and, and any professional football player or, or sports, you know, professional, you spend your entire life honing your one skill and you, you know, and, and with the NFL, yeah. you play in the NFL and he played for, what was it? 14 seasons, 15 seasons, something, some huge amount. And then it's over. And I would want to hold on to that as much as I could. And he never, ever was like telling football stories right. unless someone, someone asked, asked, unless someone asked him. Um, the only other time that there was some football interaction was we would do these things called flashcards. And when he was doing the announcing, he would have these three by five cards. It would have a, a, yeah. a name of a, a team name and a number Okay. on one side. And then on the other side would be the player's name and like a bunch of stats. And we would, you know, quiz him on it so that he was ready for the next football, next football game, game that next Sunday, Yeah. you know, uh, for, you know, on, on NBC with, the, with Dick Eversole. Was it Dick? Yeah. Dick Enberg, I think it was right. Dick Enberg, that's right. Yeah, yeah. No, so that, that's crazy. Like you would shoot all you know all week and then get ready for a football game and back at it again. That's yeah, and dedication. Just, and, and he was so good at both of them. And the thing about Merlin was, I I knew he was a new actor because he would tell me that, <laughs> but he worked so hard and became so much better at acting that I could see it. Right. And, you know, not that I'm like, oh, I'm a, I'm a great actor because I'm not. If you look at the episodes, <laughs> some episodes, I'm just horrible. In. And the, <laughs> acting, the acting I'm doing is horrible. Right. But, you know, he was amazing. And it was just, it was a real, really cool experience with him.
Yeah. Did you stay like in contact with them after the show ended? Yeah. Every now and again, there was my, my brother ended up dating his daughter. Oh, wow. For a, for a while. Um, and they had a great relationship, but uh, Merlin and I, we would see each other, you know, every now and again. And, yeah. you know, it would be wonderful. Right. That's cool. Yeah. I mean, because also the FTD commercials he had too. He was right. You know, he was all over the place for a certain time. Yep. And yeah. then there were, for the people in Los Angeles, he also owned a Porsche dealership on Ventura Boulevard, which back in the day was this huge, mm-hmm. huge piece of land that he sold yeah. Porsches on. And I think when, when everything was said and done, from what I heard, and I didn't hear numbers, but when everything was said and done, you took all of his football money, all of his acting money, and none of it compared to him when he sold the land of the Porsche. I'm sure. I can imagine. <laughs> Could he even fit in a Porsche? <laughs> Probably not. <laughs> yeah. But dude, you know, like, you know, if you look at your wrist, you can see where, the, you know, there's your thumb and it kind of tapers. Yeah. Merlin's wrist started here at, his, at the bottom of his thumb and just went right. down. The guy was massive. Wow. <laughs> That's great. So I'm, I'm sure you know, um, the costumes for him must have been interesting for them to cater to. Oh, they were all custom made. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, we'll get to some of your roles. Um, you guys started in the Love Boat, and yeah. you uh, you almost, I, I, you could say you pissed off Captain Steubing that one episode. You, I was you, a real jerk. Yeah. Yeah. He was going to, he was going to throw you in the, you know, somewhere in the brig, I guess, or <laughs> throw you overboard, have, you know, go for it, just take care of you or something like that. Exactly. Have doc slip me some Mickey's. Yeah. <laughs> and your brother also guest started on the show, right? Yeah. Too? He was on, he was on as well. Yeah. Yeah. So what was uh, just being on, on that set? Like, um, they had two types of shows on love, but ones that went on the real ship, and then ones that were shot on the stage. And I, okay. I did one that was shot on the stage, but it was super exciting because they did this thing called the process, which it's just rear projection, but they put a screen behind you and then they project a nighttime uh, seascape. And that's where they did the, the boat, you know, the, the, yeah. the credits up front with your, your right, yeah. picture. And I remember doing that and it was so iconic at the time, um, you know, Love Boat being one of the only shows that showed the actor's face and their name at the same time. Um, and that that was very exciting for me. It was also very exciting to meet all of the people. Um, I did two episodes. One of them was with uh, where I fell in love with Julie. And then the second one was yeah. where Vicky falls. I'm, I'm like this playboy, this yeah. playboy. <laughs> Uh, who Vicky falls for. And I'm kind of like a jerk to her. Cause I'm making up that I'm cooler than I am. Um, but everyone I worked with was wonderful. And in fact, the, uh, Oh, I'm forgetting my own name. What's his name? Uh, he played doc, um, Bernie Coppell. Right. So Bernie Coppell and I got, you know, years later, our sons are in the same baseball, little, little league baseball. Okay. And so we end up reconnecting and that's right when we started doing um Sea Dad Run. So we wrote a part in for Bernie Coppell. Mm-hmm. So Bernie Coppell came in and played this crazy soap opera character for us. Right. On Sea Dad Run. Um but yeah, Love Boat was really wonderful because again, like it was, you know, that Fantasy Island and a couple other Charlie's Angels, Starsky and Hutch, they're like these iconic 70s shows and to be yeah. involved in that Right. have that on your resume is kind of cool 
Absolutely. Because the Love Boat always had amazing guest stars. Like, you right. know, and just seeing, like, you know, obviously Chara was always on, but you always see, like, you know, the, the iconic opens, which you mentioned, you know, in the little uh, Life Preserver. And it was, uh, right. Yeah. It was, it was, it was great. Now I want to get to the schools because um, right. we'll do uh, summer school first. Uh, Carl Reiner directed it and it's, you know, iconic movie. Um, talk about Carl first. Were there any good stories about him? My favorite Carl Reiner story was, I mean, any, the, the background is, is that Carl Reiner is a great director. If you don't know Carl Reiner, he created the Dick Van Dyke show. He wrote on a show called your show shows with, um, um, all these great writers like Mel Brooks and um, Neil Simon and his brother, Danny Simon, and just, just an amazing amount of talent. And he did these Steve Martin movies. He did the jerk and he did dead men don't wear plaid. And so he, he ended up doing summer school and I couldn't believe that I was going to be working with him. And uh, we were at the beach because there's, you know, a bunch of stuff is shot at the beach and Dean Cameron, who was also in ski school and we right. were in summer school and we had done another movie called Prince of Bel-Air together with Mark. Um, we were on the beach and we were talking about, you know, this improv group that a friend of his was in. And you know how you can come across someone who's talking with another person and, and you kind of walk up and then you start listening into their conversation and then maybe you join the conversation. So Carl Reiner did that. He was coming over and he didn't interrupt us, but he was listening to this conversation and our conversation was, you know, like, Oh, well, this guy was doing this one sketch and it was so funny. And then we, I can't get over how he did this. And he said, he came up with it like this. And then Dean would like, Oh yeah, I remember that. I remember that. And then there was a lull in the conversation. And then Carl Reiner goes, I remember when Mel came in one day and he and Danny had come up with this sketch and he's talking about Mel Brooks right. and about one of the most famous sketches ever written. Right. He's telling it to us like he's just one of the guys yeah. just shooting the shit. You know, like there's no big deal here, dudes. I just created yeah. and wrote all the episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show. Right. You know, just how you do. Yeah. And it was the most amazing thing because Dean and I were in the moment. and We knew exactly what he was talking about, you know, and, he, and he's like telling us this story that's like epic. And then he walks away and it's like it was just a normal everyday yeah. conversation for Carl Reiner. Right. That's funny. Yeah. Like Dean, I felt like kind of got typecast because he always played like, you know, the goofball. Right. You know, but the two schools and um, what was the other one? He, he was in. Um, oh, he did a lot of he did Rockula. He did uh, right. Miracle came, Beach. He yeah. He came from school. outer space. They came from outer space with Stuart. Yeah. Right. Um, I would say that he was always the smartest in it in, right. in the movies yeah he once told me that he had modeled i think it was dave marshak i think after bugs bunny okay and it's like if you look at it you go oh i see that yeah see you know i can see it like he's right the, he's the little stinker he's like yeah. the little guy that's making all of the trouble right because like him and uh gary were like the wayne's world before there was wayne's world it seemed like exactly like those two you know yeah yeah so what was like ski school um did you even know how to ski <laughs> no no <laughs> no yeah we got a i got a call it was, ski school is one of those movies that shouldn't have happened at all i get a call <laughs> from my agent and they go hey they want you to go read this script it's called ski school and dean cameron's in it and i go okay so basically i went down to the writer's place to the writer's house where they were printing out a script 
and they go here read these pages and i read the pages go okay great um you want to we're doing a movie called ski school um you guys were both in summer school do you want to do it and it was like i guess i it was as easy as little house but it was like right. far sketchier yeah it was like yeah oh, oh okay right and so i remember talking to my agent and I, I they fly me to canada we're in canada um and i'm calling from the production office and <laughs> i'm talking to my agent and i'm calling from the production office and i'm like going yeah so um what's going on with the contract and they go well we haven't got the contract yet but don't worry i mean it's not like you you're not going to go to canada without having a contract i'm already here <laughs> i may have made a bad move here right um and so we kind of a lot of the great stuff in ski school happened because it was a real creative environment with uh with dean and stewart myself and just the energy there was anything can happen yeah. now that doesn't mean that that makes a good movie it right. just so happened that everything kind of fell together where it ended up and then they reshot some stuff later and then it became a movie that became beloved by people that like those type of movies it's right. not a good movie it's not a great movie yeah. it's fun and it's funny to watch and exactly a lot to it but it's like, you know, it's, you can't go out and go, let's make a ski school. It's like, it, it, yeah. it shouldn't work, but it does. And so we did that. And then we were really cold on the, <clears throat> on the, on the, uh, on the slopes. Cause like you say, I, I lied to them and said I could ski. Cause that's what all actors do. You lie and say, of yeah, you think, you think you'll figure it out. Yeah. Um, they knew I couldn't ski when I got, when I fell off the ski lift <laughs> and couldn't get up. And I had to ride on the back of the director to the location because he was like this professional Canadian skier. Right. And it was such a low budget that they didn't have double wardrobe. So I had to change out of my wardrobe and give it to the stunt guy on the slope so that he could do the skiing for me and then change back into it so I could do the acting. Right. And yeah, it was. And so we were really cold. And I said, why don't we do this in the Bahamas and call it scuba school? And the director goes, I got a three picture deal. Well, go write that script. And so I did. Okay. I wrote this movie called scuba school, which was going to be the next one. And that ended up being um, National Lampoon's Last Resort with uh, oh, nice. Corey Feldman, and Corey Hayne. Okay. But that's where that came from. But there was right. going to be and then there was going to be three other school movies. There was going to be yeah. ski, uh, ski school, stunt school and flight school. Right. Which, which never happened. Happened. But, yeah. Yeah. Right. And you keep, uh, keep Dean working, I guess. Right. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Were you even asked for the sequel or no? I didn't, I didn't know they did one until Dean got back. I said, where are you okay. been? He goes, oh, I did ski school too. <laughs> oh, <laughs> right. Yeah. I never saw again, the sequel. Completely <laughs> different set of people. People right. who just bought the name. Yeah. No, of course. Did, did uh, Dean know how to ski, uh, ski or he lied to? Yeah. No, Dean, Dean knows how to ski. He's a good skier. Oh, right. Okay. Yeah. I think uh, what did uh, Stewart? I'm not too sure about, right? I think Stewart could, but it wasn't like I mean, basically, they had all been on skis before. I'd never, right. yeah, been on skis at all. Right, and I think Tom and, was pretty good. Yeah, Reginald yeah. was good, and yeah. then of course all the extras were all the ski stunt guys. Right. So everyone else in 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 the group, including well, Mark Thomas Miller also knew how to ski. Right. Now, like. You, you can't even make a comedy like that anymore. You know, it's no, yeah. <laughs> no, it's, it's patently offensive in so many ways. Yeah. Like I, I haven't really seen, I would probably say the last good comedy I saw is probably the, the first hangover. And that's like over a decade old now. 
Right. And the I would say the main difference is as the audience, you're aware of their bad behavior while in ski mm. school, you're supposed to be involved, involved in the bad in behavior. You're supposed to be on the side of the bad behavior in ski school and in all the right. 80s movies, you know, all yeah. the different, you know, Revenge of the Nerds, Ski Patrol, Ski School. Yeah. You're supposed to be like, Porky's, like these yeah. are fantasy fulfillments as opposed to, you know, oh, I can't believe they're doing that. It's right. hysterical, but oh my yeah. God. It's like, yeah, I know. Absolutely. And then I guess bad behavior. We can talk about Heather's, which I watched my Heather's wife is- recently and it's, she loves that movie. She quotes it all the time. And it's, it's such a legendary movie and I'm surprised it didn't do as well as it should have. I mean, it's the legacy is great, but like when it first came out, it really didn't do too well. Yeah. It, uh, Heather's is, is aside from the, the sea dad run where I got to do that with, with Tina. Um, Heather's is my favorite project uh, because I, I, I wanted to be a part of it after I read the script before it was really anything. And like I just said, you know, ski school shouldn't have worked. Um, it didn't look like it was going to work. It really, there was nothing there yeah. special about it that would, but with Heather's, the script was so good. You wanted it to work. You wanted all these pieces to come together. And in some way, yeah, it was, it's certainly ahead of its time in its attitude. And I don't know if it could have become what it is now, if it was a success. So it's kind of always right. those, those cult movies always have to have that failure up front. Right and then be found by the people that it connects with directly. And I'm pretty sure I speak for everybody that worked on the show. It was everyone's cult movie when they were making it, like everyone loved it. Unlike other projects that they'd done. Um, Between like, is that ski school and you can even throw like three ninjas in there. You kind of had like that dumbass character nailed down <laughs> you know <laughs> playing dumb is really fun yeah it's really fun because it's it's just it feels like it's a big fat target to to you know to to find that space and you know three ninjas was another fun you know uh, movie mainly because of the director john turtletaub who you know later went on to do the national treasure movies and you know cool runnings and, yeah. and he's a great director and this was like one of his earlier films. And again, we just got to play around and have the ability to try things. And he was such a good editor in the moment. He'd go, no, no, try this. And he himself is funny. And so there was a lot of opportunity for that. And one of the other things which I appreciated about his direction was and and that if you don't, remember being a kid and remember the joy of having being a kid and wanting to be a ninja and all those types of things you couldn't have directed it and he was really good with understanding the point of view of the kids um and so i kind of took i took my lead from that with the idea of you know yeah definitely fester's a dumb guy but he's a young dumb guy who you know is just basically a big kid right Someone, I don't know if you have seen it on YouTube, posted like a, a they made the, uh, I guess a homemade trailer for Three Ninjas and they had it as a like action thriller movie. And <laughs> I haven't seen that. Yeah, I'll, I'll, see that. I'll have to send you the link later. It's it's That'd hysterical. It's really fun. It's like a whole different movie. Oh my gosh, yeah. that sounds so funny. Yeah, it's, it's, it's really good. <laughs> it's, it's really good. Now with Heather's, 
I can imagine like it's not a day go by, goes by that someone doesn't quote that movie to you, right? It's a, yeah, it definitely when you run into the people that love Heather's, it's a really specific connection. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's not an everyday thing either, surprisingly. But I, I mean, I say surprising because I love the movie so much. But, right. You know, it is when the reason I found it was they sent the script to my brother and to ask him to read for the, the JD role. OK. And he didn't want to because he goes, it's I don't get it. It's about suicide. There's nothing funny in it. And you really had to be in the right frame of mind, I think, to read it and to get what it was doing. I'm not saying I'm smart. I'm not saying he wasn't smart enough to get it. But yeah. it was just, it's a sensibility. And so, yeah, if you don't get it, you don't get it. They just retried to uh, redo the, um, to redo it like as a TV show. Right. And, you know, it wasn't that successful. And again, because it was such a unique attitude and point of view that came from, you know, Daniel Waters, the writer, wanting to make the uh, Stanley Kubrick teen film to beat all teen films. He really wanted it to be a three-hour movie directed by Stanley Kubrick. He sent it to Stanley Kubrick to direct. Okay. Right. I mean, so that's where, you know, it's like the guy had balls to begin with. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, I can imagine seeing a three-hour cut of that movie. <laughs> Just... Yeah, there was there was apparently there was a longer cut, but there was also a longer script, a 220 page script, which we just never we never shot because we just they they had to pare it down because it was a low budget movie to begin with. It was, I think, at the time, three million dollars. Okay, so you're laying in the coffin with your football helmet and the jacket. I mean, is it hard not to laugh? Um, it's not, it was my job, so right. no, but yeah. laying in the coffin, hearing, you know, over and over again, I love my love son, my I love my dead gay son. son. Yeah. You definitely, I saw it on, on t-shirts. I just knew that that was going to be a line that was going to be, yeah. you know, it's an epic line. Oh, it is. Yeah. And, yeah. I mean, it's just, and, and there was another scene that we had in there where right before we get to the clearing with uh, Veronica that we did shoot where it's me and uh, Lance who played, um, kurt kelly and we talk about the girls being uh tab 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 whores like you know the diet call a tab right right tab whores and or swatch whores and tabaholics something it was just it was yeah so brutally gross right but again you know it's like you, you you pick and choose and so they cut that out um but yeah, it was uh, in, in being in the coffin was kind of was kind of bizarre because the other thing they did, too, was then they, he's, you know, they have the big um, uh, uh, they had Glenn Shaddix doing his big uh, preaching and everything. And so yeah. you're there for the whole day. I'm laying in a coffin <laughs> listening to all of this. Yeah. And especially when all, you know, all, everyone comes up and like praise and stuff like that. Some, like, with your line, when, when, I guess when Heather Chandler died you know right. your line with the snatch or it's just you know you just can't do that now and it's it's just and why that the was movie a movie looks- you know like i've talked to you about three ninjas and ski yeah. school every i don't think i i know for a fact i didn't change one line in heathers and i i don't think anyone else did either right it was not an improv movie it was like so good when you read it you wanted to get the exact dialogue right yeah no it's it's great and anyone who's listening who hasn't seen the movie which i'm sure everyone has just watch it again it just it stands up and it's, you know, funnier than ever, I think. <laughs> Thanks, man. Yeah. So how did you uh, end up uh, starting your voiceover career? Because I was a big, you know, Spider-Man fan and you voiced uh, Flash Thompson. 
Thank you. Yeah, uh, that was a huge, like, I couldn't get over that because I was a big comic book. I am a comic book player. You can probably see him in the corner here. Um, yeah. Comic book fan. And Spider-Man was my favorite comic. Right. Um, there was an audition that I went on. And it happened to be just a radio ad for um, a doorknob company. <laughs> and in the actual, I got the job. And I went to record it and it was the first job I'd ever done for voiceover. And I was recording with Dick Sargent from Bewitched. Yeah. And he was doing, obviously he was doing voiceover. That's what he had been doing for a number of yeah. years. And the guy who was his agent was a guy named Paul Doherty. And Paul Doherty heard my voice and approached me and said, do you want to do some voiceover work? I'm yeah. building a younger age department here. Right. And it, I mean, I was, I lucked out because Paul Doherty is now the number one agent in voiceover. He, you know, Cunningham has got the Peeny Doherty, it, you know, it, it, it's CESD is him. And it, it's just, it, it became really huge. And so during the nineties, it was something that I did and I ended up doing the, um, uh, the WB, I was the announcer at the WB, the television okay. network that was before the CW. Right. And we did Spider-Man and it was, um, Again, it's a it's a completely different business now, but that's how I got into it. Is it, it was just by by pure luck that the one guy uh, heard my voice, and then I ended up being at a party, a, a barbecue that that he was at. Now, when you say that in Hollywood, you go, "Oh, you imagine this, you know, grandiose party." Yeah, it was a friend of mine was having a barbecue, and it was a barbecue with like you know a couple fold out chairs, a barbecue in a you know in an egg barbecue, and like five other people. And this guy happened to be there. It was like that right. kind of thing. Okay. It was like some big schnazzy Hollywood party, but it was you know a really great, great place to meet someone you could talk to. Yeah. So uh, I imagine you saw the last Spider Man movie, right? Yeah. Yeah. What'd you think? I loved it. Yeah. Yeah, I thought they did such a really good job, and i was so thrilled and no spoilers but i was so <laughs> thrilled with how they dealt with all of the surprises and how they continued to my wife said it perfectly she said you know that scene at the end of every marvel movie where you know it's in the middle of the credits and they do some big surprise and you're like oh i want to see that movie yeah the whole movie was like that that's true. It's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I don't, like you said, I don't want to give anything away, but the way they handled each surprise was, was perfect. And it's, it's amazing yeah. how it's, how well it's doing and uh, keep looking forward to the, the next one. That's I guess that's what they uh, have you yeah. do, you know, movie crack. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So out, out of all those movies, which one's your favorite out of all the Marvel movies? Oh, um, while I love Spider-Man, um, I'm a huge Captain America fan and Captain America um, first Avenger and Winter Soldier I would yeah. say are my two favorite yeah that's funny I oh, were really good yeah Winter Soldier is my favorite of all of them because it's just yeah. it's done perfectly it's like not even a comic book movie you know that one right it's, it's just like an action adventure thriller it's like three days of the condor with with Captain right America. exactly with a shield yeah 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 you nailed it perfect it's kind of why like the Dark Knight that one right it resonates the same way you know it's just with a cape it's just the same you know type of movie as well yeah so let's get to jag and your character you know bud like was that kind of like you, you being like kind of like a science fiction type was that kind of written in for you no but i wish i was more like bud bud's a really sweet human and he 
was he he always was the kindest person in a situation right um definitely there was one scene where i sing drunk and that only came about because i'd gone out with i met my wife tina on the show tina was a producer okay on jag and we would go out in groups of people because we were dating secretly so we didn't want anyone to know. So we ended up going out to uh, a place in Burbank to do some karaoke. And I sang some Tom Jones karaoke. <laughs> right. Everyone there just fell down laughing. And so they put it into the show. So as far as that yeah. goes, that was absolutely because of me. Right. Um, the the other stuff with Bud and the, the spaceships and the conspiracies, I think, came from one of our writers, R. Scott Gemmel, who is running one of the other NCIS shows now. Uh, and then the science fiction thing came from Don because he wanted it to be at a quantum leap convention and <laughs> like all the different things. Cause you know, he's yeah. a big science fiction guy, Battlestar Galactica right. and, and all of that. Um, and then obviously with, with an actor, you know, you, who I think a lot of, but there's a lot of, but there's a lot of me and bud and a lot of bud in me in as much as the reactions and, you know, trying to, I, the one thing I always wanted to do with bud as an actor was i realized i was always going to be the assistant i was always going to be in the scene but i wasn't always going to have the dialogue so i always wanted to be doing something that might steal the attention away from right from the people in in the scene so i always had something going on um and so that came from me but uh i would say that bud was basically you know if 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 you've got the if you've got harm and mac and they're not polar opposites, but they're, you know, they're different sides of, you know, the spectrum. Yeah. But Bud's going to be the center. He's going to be the right. neutrality. And so that's kind of what I thought Bud was, was like the, you know, the friendly center to everybody. Right. So when you heard that you were going to get your leg blown off, what was like your initial reaction? I was with my wife. We were in our bedroom and I get a call from Don and he goes, well, you can't tell anybody this, but we're going to blow you up. I'm like, oh, great. Am I alive? Because <laughs> I didn't right. know if I was dying or not. And, you know, when we went to shoot it, uh, Tina says, you know, make sure that you're, you keep repeating. It's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. Because if we have you talking, then there's a, there's, we can hopefully keep you alive. Right. And so the idea was that no one knew about it. We shot it no. secretly couldn't tell anyone and this was before all of the secrecy now with everything and so everyone was really shocked that it happened um because even the people in the show didn't know my family my wife knew but that was it yeah um and then it ended up being a wonderful storyline for bud and i think it was the seventh season seventh or eighth and you know when you're when you're on a show that's gone that long it's wonderful to have something completely new right to to play and because i was you know the third person in the scene not the the two leads i could do something different because the two leads are always going to have to be you know if you're tuning in to see a show the, the your show really can't change that much the the leads have to stay the same and so that was a really that was a really great storyline and then to be able to then come out of that and then be basically a working lawyer um after that and again that was really one of the interesting things about jag if you watch the first season it's very similar to magnum in that he's solving crimes and doing action 
and then towards the end of the uh, towards the end of the series it's just basically a, a i'm trying to explain siri but if you're not going to listen i don't know why you're on um <laughs> don't know why siri wants to yeah. butt in all of a sudden yeah. <laughs> um but yeah towards the end of the show um uh, it was a just a courtroom drama i mean not just a but it was right. uh, it was a courtroom drama as opposed to you know the action show that originally started right now is it difficult i mean because you look at like streaming now and every streaming show is like 10 to 13 episodes that they get it done and like but like those shows on like the networks 20 episodes 23 episodes i mean yeah. and like you 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 being a writer yourself isn't it like how difficult is it for you guys just to, you know, produce the content and like, just keep the shows fresh. I mean, all those shows like the CSIs and the NCI, I mean, NCIS and JAG, they've been going for like decades now. Yeah. Yeah. The, um, first of all, as, as a, as a person who, you know, gets paid by the episode, which is pretty much the way it works. Right. We, we, I love that. Right, of course. The yeah. more, the more episodes, the better. Um, on Little House, because it was controlled by Michael, we would be there at 7.30 and we would leave at 5 p.m. And that was okay. it. Um, on Jag, uh, we, it was, uh, Jag ended up being nicknamed Just Another Grand <laughs> because they would have these things called forced calls where okay. you're supposed to get 12 hours off in between your, your, your set call and right. when you get, you know, released. And if they don't, then they have to pay you a thousand dollars. Okay. And so we would start off the week on Monday with a set call of like six thirty a.m. And by Friday, because you have to give the turnaround times, we were being asked to come in around three, four o'clock in the afternoon. And mm -hmm. so we'd be working until the early mornings on Saturday. Right. And it was a very difficult. That was a very difficult show. Um, but then again, as it as it continued you know economies of scale and people got figured it out it got better and better as the years went on but that first couple of years it was like we were on set all the time um and then with see dad run it was a sitcom which was a beautiful experience because on monday we would have a table read and on friday we would have a show in front of a live studio audience right. and it's there's been nothing like it in my experience of trying out a joke and then putting it up and having it be in a show on Friday. And then you start the whole thing again, starting on Monday. And the writers worked a lot in that show and we would have late nights, but there was no turnaround time on, on yeah. that end of it. But um, yeah, we, some of them, some of the times when we had a script that wasn't working, we'd be there till two, three in the morning, wow. but that was rare. Yeah. Otherwise it was, you know, straightforward, you know, you work hard, you go home. Have you thought about working on or creating another show? Oh, absolutely. But the, you know, it's sort of like, Hey, I won the lottery. Let's do that again. Yeah. Um, it, it, I've, we've written other shows. Okay. Um, I'm writing another, you know, another script right now, but it's a matter of uh, Tina says luck, timing and geography. You know, you got to yeah. have all of the things at once. And when it happens, it's super wonderful. Right. And when it doesn't, you just, well, okay, then we'll try again. But yeah, that that whole experience of uh, especially for a three camera or multi camera show where you're not on location and you're in a studio, right. it was it was a wonderful experience. Yeah, I imagine now since like every cable network has their own streaming site, so there's so much you know opportunity for like show new shows and new ideas. 
that it's got to be great for you know for the creators just to start working on stuff and just more than likely get their stuff out there it's absolutely true they had i think it was on uh, what was it was it south park they had a joke where they they called netflix and the person says hello netflix yes you're greenlit hello netflix yes you're greenlit <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> which I thought was funny. Um, but again, it goes right back to when you walk into that room as an actor, you know if it's going to be the actor or not. Right. And if you walk in with a project, as many different streaming places as there are, it may not be what they're looking for this week. It may be next week, but it's not this week. So try another place. Right. So again, it's just sort of like, you know, shopping until you find the right place. Right. So um, let's get back to the worker, working actor studio again. Where can people find it? It's workingactorsschool.com. Sorry. And it's uh, on also the email is workingactorsschool at gmail.com. And on the website, you'll see a whole list of all the different classes that we offer. Um, you can sign in, sign up, send an email in, and we'll contact you. And like I said, we're starting a basic class, which is, you know, brand new baby actors who've never done anything. Uh, just welcome to the business, mm -hmm. uh, starting it right uh, on February 8th. And then we'll be having other classes kind of fold into that as we move forward. Okay, great. And I know you are active again on Twitter and you always post these, you know, cool, like behind the scenes pictures of Jag and, and everything else. So uh, where can people find you on Twitter? On Twitter, it's P as in Patrick underscore. And then my last name, L-A-B as in boy, Y-O-R-T-E-A-U-X. And that's P underscore Laberto at Twitter. I'm also on I'm also on Facebook as well, but mainly I'm active on Twitter. All right, cool. But I appreciate your time, Patrick, and uh, good luck with the school. Thanks so much, Noel. I really do appreciate it. It was really fun. And a special thanks to Patrick for joining me today. Go check out WorkingActorSchool.com. And if you have a guest suggestion, you can hit me up on Twitter at the first Noel One Nine, or like the page Roving My Youth on Facebook. Go to iTunes, check out all the past episodes we had. While you're there, please rate and review the show. Don't have iTunes? Not a problem. Show us on SoundCloud, Podbean, Spotify, Amazon Music, basically wherever you can find a new podcast. New episode comes in every week. Stay safe, everybody. See you then.